We're live. Okay, very good. And then you can just put on your belt loop or your pocket. Yeah, that's perfect. Works for you. So thank you very much. Really appreciate your help. What was your name? Ethan. Ethan. Yeah. Thank you, Ethan. Appreciate no it. No problem, Jason. I'm a hundred percent confident. I'm gonna break this. I'm just kidding. I normally don't have the best of luck with technology that I'm wearing, mostly because I move a lot. Well, that's, I hope that's not the case. That's not my ambition. I think I will just tack this onto my pants here. All right, I think it's on. Don't worry, I have all, it'll all be up here. So you won't hopefully have to fret with it too much. I'll try to move out of the way because I do reference the slide a lot, so. Ugh. Where are y'all from? Castilia. Oh, say that again, Cast Castilia. Castilia, I don't think I know where that's at. Where is that at? You know where Nashville, North Carolina is? Yes. Okay, we're about 10 miles north of Nashville. Okay, very good. I'm over in Durham. First Baptist in Durham, downtown, so. Close your eyes and get through. Just, well, that, honestly, that's how my where I'm where I'm from in the mountains. It's uh, called Franklin. Probably not as small as that, maybe, but uh, it's it's a small town too. You just one mile long up in Highlands. You just drive straight down the middle. You might miss it. So. Oh really? Okay. Guess what? Oh yeah, I know where Guess Road is. Yeah, very good. Okay, well I need all the help I can get. So uh, you, you brought in the air support, the prayer support, the air support. That's what I call it. It's good to see you guys. This is your church, isn't it, Brendan? Okay, I, I was like 98.7% confident that was the case. But I just wanted to be certain before I spoke too soon. No, I'm grateful for the chance to be here. This is a great place. Did y'all have a renovation or anything like that recently? Or, okay, because is this because when I pulled in, I saw the big kind of steeple. Is that your sanctuary? It just reoriented a different way, or? Oh, gotcha. Okay. I see. Yeah. I see. Okay, gotcha. That's a beautiful room across the way there. I was. It's nice to have a multi-purpose room. Our church has a lot of classrooms and things like that, but it's, I found it, it's really nice to be able to have a multi-purpose room that you can tear down, put up, use for different things. It's great, so. We are done. As it, was, it was kind of a big like because we finished the renovation right when COVID started. So our church body had been meeting in different places within our building. We were you know separate. We were looking forward to getting back together and then and we had, the, we had the grand reopening and no one was there. Uh, so thankfully too, you know, the pro renovation projects like that are just expensive. Ours was three and a half million. And we were trying to, you know, get people to give towards it and all that. And thankfully, by God's grace, they really have. But uh, it's tough, you know, because all the consultants, they tell you, 
you bring them, you bring all the people back and you can give like a final push. Well, there was no great coming back. It was just a slow trickle. And then in the meantime, we've added new members who don't know any different. I had even a new lady who's been coming to my home group and uh, I was talking about more than a building, which is the name of our campaign. She was like, I'm so sorry. I keep hearing about what is that? I was like, it's our renovation project. And she said, what area of the church was renovated? I was like, all of it, you know? And then it dawned on me, when someone walks in, you'd have no way of knowing what sections because unless you knew the old part. And so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that old part is now new again. So that whole area is, is brand new. And so. Yeah, I remember when you were there, I think I told you this is where the money runs out, right? Because we've since learned that lesson. We had, we had some pictures uh, both before and after, but it's, it's amazing. It's hard to kind of capture that in a way that everybody understands. Because like the first floor in our education space, the floor plan's not even the same. Like literally every wall came down and was put up differently. So even if we show pictures, people are like, yeah, they don't, they don't, they're not linking like this is the transformation, but it's all right. We trust the Lord. We'll raise the money. It's just, it's just a matter of time. We have about $860,000 left on our loan. Yeah. So yeah, it was a three year project. So we were uh, grateful. I know, I know not every church has been like this, so I really do want to praise the Lord for it, but we just, we were surprised at how well, you know, we did financially last year over and against what we were expecting, you know, with all the stuff going on. So it's just a huge testimony of the Lord's grace and kindness. So, yeah, I love whiteboards too. I won't, I won't write on the whiteboard though. I'll use this. Okay. <laughs> Can y'all see that okay? When I was making the slideshow, I didn't know how big the room was going to be. Okay, very good. There we go. That's what I want. I'm going to do this. Whoops. I'm going to break it. I guess we're supposed to get started at what, 145? Is that what it says in your book? Okay, we'll give it a couple more minutes then. Water over there. Well, Brian, who was in here previously, was saying that the toughest slot is after lunch. For me, it's 2 o'clock. I don't know about you guys. Are y'all... Oh, I'm, I'm drinking it. Now, I'm up here, so I'll be fine, but I'm more worried about y'all, so I'll try to keep it, try to keep it engaging, you know.
in a few minutes I'll shut the door just because of the noise but Brian was telling me it gets a little warm in here so after it settles down outside I'll reopen it hey come on in good to have you be a good Baptist and sit in the back hey look we'll take all kinds here all are welcome yeah all are welcome. Good to go? Okay, thanks. All right. I'll let him get, get that door. Okay, well, like I mentioned, for those who just walked in, after a few minutes, if it gets too stuffy, we'll just recrack the door. So just wave if you're losing it, all right? <laughs> and we'll make sure it's open. But. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Chase Jenkins, and I have the joy of serving on staff at First Baptist Church in Durham, where I help oversee our international ministries. And it was a joy to receive an invitation to come share a little bit about literacy missions. And a part of that, the reason why I'm delighted to do that too, uh, not only because it's a ministry that I'm passionate about at my church, but uh, it's something that statewide is a huge open door for effective ministry in the gospel, as Paul prays in Colossians 4. And so, uh, and I also serve with the state convention as a contractor. I'm the literacy missions coordinator for the state of North Carolina. And so even after today, if you want to connect about ways that literacy missions can be used at your church to reach the nations and others the Lord has brought your way, uh, I'd love to connect further about that. But today, this breakout session's title is Literacy Missions, A Missions Frontier in Your Community. And the reason why I chose that title is because, uh, and this is something I think Brenda's even heard me speak about a little bit in the past, Oftentimes, literacy missions can be kind of misunderstood in terms of what's its role in the life of the church, or perhaps it's seen as just a program in the church. Maybe it's something that's owned by, you know, Miss Betty Sue down the hallway, and grateful she's doing that, but we don't really know what all that's about. But today, I want to give you, for your context, a vision of how literacy missions in all of its different flavors can be a wonderful pathway for making disciples in your community. And so to that end, what I'd like to do is love to open with a word of prayer, just asking for the Lord's blessing on our time. Hey, welcome guys. No, it's, it's all right. No, it's, look, I'm not taking roll. So you're welcome, come on in. So what I'll do is I'll start with a word of prayer, just asking for the Lord's blessing on our time. And then um, we'll, we'll dig in. Father, we thank you so much for today and for all the helpful sessions that we've already enjoyed together. Lord, what a joy it is that we can come together as brothers and sisters and be built up, edified, mutually encouraged in the faith and in the ministry. Lord, we know that brothers and sisters around the world would love opportunities like what we're enjoying today. So I pray that we'd be filled with thanksgiving even as we leave this place and we'd be uh, on fire for you in maybe fresh ways that you'll lay on our hearts. God, I pray today, though, for this particular breakout that you would bless our time I pray that uh, as a result of today, that literacy missions would be more on our radar, not just individually, but even corporately about uh, this opportunity you've laid before many churches in our state to make disciples and to build relationships for the glory of our King, Jesus Christ. So I pray that you would guard me from error, protect me from saying anything that's unhelpful, and instead help me to say only that which is encouraging and for the edification of the saints that are gathered here today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So literacy missions, before I move on to the next slide, I want to poll you and ask, what comes into your mind when I say the words literacy missions? We'll just popcorn it. Audience participation portion. What comes, you know, I say literacy missions, what do you think? You're going to teach people how to read and write. We're going to teach people how to read and write. Good. Yeah, what else? 
Anything else? Maybe ESL. ESL, yeah, very good. So specifically English for foreign language speakers or English uh, to non-native English speakers. Good. Anything else? Orality. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So there's lots of different varieties that fall under the banner of literacy missions. Um, one thing we'll discuss later, there's also a lot of acronyms. I had to learn all the acronyms when I started being um, more trained and more built up in different ways. And so it's helpful to know. Another thing that might be helpful for me to know as we dig into the session is in your context, raise your hand if you already have a literacy missions program of some variety or, or a program that you would label as literacy missions in your church at home. Here at Friendly Avenue, good. Similar, oh, something maybe along those lines. Um, raise your hand if you would love to, but you don't know where to begin. Okay, so maybe it encompasses much of the other room. Uh, raise your hand if you are personally passionate about it, but you don't have anyone else in your church that you even think would be able to come alongside you. Okay, so a couple people in that category. Well, that's all helpful because there's a couple of things that I want to accomplish today. One is laying a foundation missionally for why literacy missions is so helpful. And in doing that, I want to help maybe even model how you could explain it to others in your congregation and how it fits into really the missional vision of any church, any time, and any place. And then with that too, I want to get into some practical areas about how you can structure such a ministry what type of vision would best serve that type of ministry as a subvision of what your church is doing in your community? And then we'll come up at the end with a time for questions and things like that. So this is one of those topics we could talk for hours on, and we only have a little less than 50 minutes now or 40-some-odd minutes now. So uh, it's going to be a breeze over in some ways. But I think it's helpful to remember why we're here. And I don't just mean here at Friendly Avenue on a Tuesday. I mean, why does the church exist? Because sometimes, again, if a program is started up in your church, it can be just labeled a program that's good for some. But if you can couch the reason that this ministry is going on under the greater vision of what I think Scripture gives us, which is making disciples, it's from that vantage point that you can really get people excited. So, I love going to Psalm 67, 1 through 3. It's maybe not a common place to go. We know the Great Commission. But to take a step back to say, why is there even a Great Commission in the first place? Why is there a Matthew 28, 18 through 20 in the Bible? Well, it's because God's revealed goal for what he's accomplishing in the world and really throughout all history is his glory. Psalm 67 says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. This is one of many places in Scripture you can go to show that God has a heart for the nations. Revelation 7, 9, He desires and will accomplish the end goal of seeing people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language assembled before the throne, worshiping Him and giving Him the praise He's due. But what I love about Psalm 67 is it makes a connection for us in how we can think about our ministry. Listen to this language again. May God be gracious to us. This is talking to, sorry, Oh, that's not going to work on a TV screen. That's okay. Uh, he's talking to his people. This is the nation of Israel. And he's saying, I'm going to pour out my blessing, or I have poured out my blessing on you, but it's for a purpose. It's to make his way known. Whenever it says make his way known, what is the way that the psalmist is alluding to here? What is God's way? His will. His will, yeah. And then it's also defined in this next passage here, or this next line his saving power among all nations. 
God has blessed us with gifts, abilities, even financial resources, so that we can use those gifts, abilities, and financial resources to be a blessing to others, not just meeting temporal physical needs, but meeting their ultimate spiritual need, which is that they would know and have a relationship with the living God through His only Son, Jesus Christ. And so I love that His glory is what we're going for here. We're not aiming to spin up a ministry for the sake of ministry. We're not just trying to give people something to do on a weekday so that they can fill a calendar slot. Everything we do starts from the vantage point of we want to bring God glory in the world. But it doesn't end there. He hasn't just revealed his, what he's trying to do, which is his own glory. He's also revealing the message by which we proclaim that. God has chosen to redeem a people for himself, and he's given us the method to do it. 2 Corinthians 5.21 for our sake he made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I love this. This is why we do what we do. Jesus Christ was sent to be our substitute and to be the substitute for those friends who do not yet know him. And so the message we proclaim is the gospel. Why is this important? Why am I saying this even before we get to literacy missions? Well, because any program we do or any avenue of service we form needs to be rooted in and firmly planted on this reality. I often shock people when I go to trainings when I ask them, is teaching English ministry? And you know, a lot of people say yes. I'm like, no, it's not. Teaching English is not ministry. I can go to UNC Chapel Hill in one of the most liberal universities in our state and teach English. Lord Jesus Christ is not glorified in the halls of academia where people are not hearing and knowing Him. So what makes trying to do literacy missions unique? It's this reality here. We're doing it for the sake of sharing this message, the gospel. So that'll be important later when we get to how to structure ministry. What's another foundational truth? God's revealed method is his mission. We already talked about it, the Great Commission. We know it. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so go therefore and make disciples. Note it, says, it doesn't say make converts. It says make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all I have commanded you. For behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, we don't just create a program as well, even for the good intention of trying to share Jesus. We actually want to, even at the outset, think about how literacy missions as an avenue, can it also facilitate the making of disciples? Can it give us those long-lasting relationships where we, we can continue to pour the gospel into people? Can it give avenues of service, maybe even to some of those disciples who from the harvest field then go out and do the same? These are some of those foundational truths that we're getting at, which will help us as we think about structure later. And then God's revealed messengers, His people. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. It's important for us to remember that the work Jesus has called us to is very similar to his own. It's an incarnational ministry. Can literacy missions provide an avenue to not just declare the gospel of Christ, but to display it as well? To actually walk alongside people through their struggles, their pains, their trials. To provide them help, but also to provide them a deeper help, which is spiritual support as they make their own faith journey.
And I think the answer is yes. So we have the idea of the mission of God, we have the message of God, we have the method, and we have the fact that he has called us to be his messengers. But there's another reality too that makes literacy missions uh, a helpful paradigm for thinking through reaching people that the Lord has brought our way. So this is where I'll define literacy missions. Actually, I'll do it on a, a couple slides, but let me get to the need here. Literacy missions just provides an avenue to reach the lost. And one reality that's true in the state of North Carolina is, brothers and sisters, the harvest is here. You know, we often think about missions as something that's over there. It's not. Missions is five minutes from my house in Durham. Missions is 20 minutes down in Morrisville, North Carolina, where the largest population of Hindus lives in the southeast of the United States. Missions is in Charlotte, working among unreached people groups that call Charlotte their home. Missions is right here in Greensboro, working with people who are trying to become citizens and need help in that area. Missions is everywhere. And I love, Acts 17 is such a clear picture of this. I just love the sovereign hand of God in how none of that's by mistake. It's all intentional. Acts 17, it says, For one, from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And listen to this. It's one of those things you can just breeze by in your Bible reading if you're not careful. He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. What does that mean? It means that the refugee crisis is a crisis, but it didn't catch God by surprise. He brought peoples from all over the world to our backyard so that we can make the gospel known to them. And they would have maybe never had an opportunity to hear the gospel had they not come here. That's the type of thing God's doing. How do we know this? He says as much. Look here at the bottom of the rest of the verse. God did this. He appointed their dwelling places, sovereignly orchestrated where they would live, for what purpose? That they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. I love this. How is he not far from any one of them? Through us. I love when Jesus uh, prays and he says, you know, pray therefore to the Lord of the harvest. We, I love that prayer. It's a great prayer. But do you remember what the next phrase after that prayer is? What's the next phrase Jesus says? He says, now go. I love that. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers into his harvest field. And then he says, now go. He's like, you are the answer to the prayer request. Go do it, right? And that's the great task that we're called to is making disciples among the nations. And the Lord is bringing the nations to our back door. So what does this look like? I just looked up these numbers on the state convention site and also with my trusty help from Google. So um, maybe there's updated stats elsewhere, but and it's hard, brothers and sisters, to identify some of these because census data is all over the place um, because they have like one box for Asian, but Asian is 60% of the world's population. So it's kind of unhelpful sometimes to rely on census data. But based off of conversations that uh, we've had with other pastors in the state and uh, conversations we have with people who keep track of these statistics, there's somewhere between 80 to even 100,000 South Asians in North Carolina many of whom are from areas of India that are unreached and unengaged right now through the International Mission Board. But they're here in Morrisville or in Greensboro or Charlotte. Um, there's over 30,000, some people even have that number higher, Middle Easterners, some of whom have come through uh, the refugee uh, uh, um, uh, programs here in the state. There's over 1.1 million Hispanics in the state of North Carolina. I was, I've been in conversations with the state convention and others. Uh, they've identified that's actually one of the greatest needs in our state 
are more healthy, gospel-preaching Hispanic churches uh, that are led and supported well by uh, Hispanic pastors in the state of North Carolina. It's a huge need. And their rate, like 14% of the city of Durham is Hispanic. It's amazing when you start to look at the numbers and you identify the Lord has brought them here. Why? Could it be that he's placed them in our path to have an interaction where we can share the gospel of Christ and see disciples made? I think so. Same thing, 300,000 East Asians from all over East Asia. It's amazing. I don't know if you know this, but the IMB is basically cut off from China right now. Um, there's a whole host of reasons why, but it's not easy slash impossible to get into China. But there's uh, somewhere between 50 to 60,000 Chinese living in uh, the Triangle area where I'm at over in Durham. And most of them are unchurched. Most of them have not heard the gospel. Most of them have not interacted even with an American <laughs> in some cases where they're very, uh, you know, maybe they don't have a good English level. And so it's just amazing the opportunity. I'm telling you, no matter where you live in the state, whether it's a small town like we were talking earlier or a big city like Durham, the nations are everywhere. We just have to open our eyes to see them. And so literacy missions, what is it? Well, here's literacy missions defined. Uh, this is a definition that I wrote last year um, using the impacting lostness language uh, that the state convention was using. Under the new executive director, I think the new phrase is on mission together. So I haven't updated it, but I like this one. So we're going to say this one again. Uh, it's impacting lostness. So that's that gospel thrust. That's why we're doing it. By making disciples, so that's the end goal, seeing people whose lives are transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, through, so here's our patterns, reading, writing, and language education ministries. So in this statement, we have a lot going on. Like I said, we have the purpose and we have the methods. And I think it's important that we understand both. And the types of literacy missions fit broadly into three categories. Ms. Brenda may want me to add a fourth one up here, and I think we should. And we should add a fourth, and I'll tell you what the fourth one is. Um, one of them, and this, this is the alphabet soup that uh, we got to kind of work through sometimes, ARW, which is adult reading and writing. Uh, and the reason why this is important is, you may not know this, one in seven adults in the eastern part of the state of North Carolina are um, illiterate. And there's some places in the mountains where I'm from that are illiterate. And we're talking uh, like Americans, you know, people, they're not internationals. They, people who've grown up in maybe certain environments, they've never had the opportunity to be educated. That's one in seven. I didn't know that before I started researching it. ESL, of course, is a huge one, like we were talking about. Great avenue for reaching the nations. ESL stands for English uh, as a second language. So that refers to teaching English to people who are learning it as a second language, and they're going to use it in this environment. There's another version of this called EFL. It's uh, English as a foreign language. You kind of think about that as maybe going to an overseas context and you're teaching English as a foreign language, much the same way my Chinese professor taught me Mandarin here at UNC Chapel Hill. Um, so they're very similar, but there's some differences in terms of how they're trained. And then TCY, tutoring children and youth. There are a lot of youth in our school systems, specifically in the big cities, but I'm sure it's in the rural context as well, who are really struggling, but the education systems can't give them the attention they need to succeed academically. So churches can fill the gaps through tutoring programs where students can come over uh, maybe after school for an after school program, or you can pair them with a, you know, an older couple or a family in the church who can take them under their wing and teach them and educate them. And it's a great opportunity to build relationship. 
And that's the point of all that we're doing. And we'll get to this when we get to structure. A lot of this overlaps. But the whole point is we're trying to create patterns that meet felt needs in the community. These are real needs that real people created in the image of God have. But then also it provides a wonderful opportunity to build relationship. Now, just pause right here. I want to ask you a question. Why do you think programs like these, this is not a super tricky question, but why would programs like these be effective for making disciples? What are some ways you think that programs like these could just practically be a blessing as it relates to trying to make disciples among the lost in our communities? The audience is seeking them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so they're... They want them. Yeah, the people are coming to you. you don't, you're just advertising and they're coming to you. So there's a, there's a desire already there for it. Good, what it's else? It's meeting a felt need in many cases. Like, yes. Like refugees. Yeah. Um, we're outside of Charlotte and we have a lot of Afghan refugees that are coming into Charlotte right now. Yeah. And they, they're required to take ESL classes. Yeah. So our church is partnering with them to with these replacement agencies yeah. to teach ESL or to do ESL, but it's a felt need. I mean, they Absolutely. need to be able to speak English to live here. And, That's right. Or at least in many cases. And so, yeah, they're coming to you, but you're meeting a need. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah, go ahead, brother. It also helps to give a reason and the definitions to what really missions is. Yes. Since they're only they're only learning these words for, for maybe for the first time. Yeah. And, you know, this, this isn't Christianese to them. Yeah. This is something that they're trying to understand. Why would you do this? Absolutely. And there's a lot of power in that example, showing the love of Christ unconditionally. There's been, I could tell you, I'm sure Brenda could too, oodles of stories of people who they come to me asking, why do you do this? And we tell them, because we love you in the way that God loves us. You know, First John says that we love because God first loved us, right? So I'll just quote that. And they're like, no, why do you do this? I'm like, you don't understand. There is no other why. We love you in the power of Christ. We want you to know and love him too. And just our example is a powerful weapon against the evil one and against the adversary. Yes, ma'am. A lot of times you give them something they don't get at home. Yeah, that's right. So not only it's kind of a version of that felt need my brother back here was saying, but you're filling a gap too that may be missing at home. Uh, another aspect too with all these is they take time. Why do you think taking time would be helpful for making disciples? It takes time to make disciples, right? I mean, even among American church members who speak English fluently, doesn't it take years and years to see people maturing in their knowledge of Christ? Well, one of the benefits of this is they're seeing you as a volunteer or your church volunteers. They're seeing them on a weekly, sometimes twice a week, maybe even more than that basis. And they're not only getting a taste of the language and all those practical things, but they're also getting a taste of what it means to be a believer. They're seeing you. Yeah, Brenda. And Chase, one of my adults that I taught to read right, one of my first students that yeah. I taught to read right, whenever we teach a lesson, we always teach them how to read a Bible verse, too. Mm -hmm. So after we've gone through all the four books, I asked him one day, what does it feel like now that you can read? Yeah. We had just finished the Bible, you know, reading the Bible story, and he said... <laughs> You know, I grew up in Moravian Church, and I'd always heard these stories, but I didn't know if they were true or if they were like you know, Jack and Jill, you know, those kinds of little stories. Yeah. So now that I can read it for myself in the Bible, I mm. think they're true. Man, that's so, good. You know, for, for someone who can't read the Bible, and then you teach them to read it, so they can read the Bible, it's against that spiritual journey. That's right. And that's, uh, that's another aspect of what we're talking about, meeting the felt need. Like you were saying, brother, 
with ESL especially, and all of these, but if you're using the Bible as part of your curriculum and you're teaching them to read that, you're actually teaching them how to go seek out spiritual truth through themselves. Now, you know, obviously we want them to be reading it in their heart language. There's nothing wrong with reading the Bible in Mandarin, Korean, whatever it is. But we find that especially in these categories, you know, if you're illiterate, are you going to be able to follow along in church on a Sunday morning as easily as someone who can read? Are you going to be as well discipled? No. So practically speaking, the church meets a real felt need, a critical spiritual felt need, especially in these categories. This one too, but you can get non-English Bible resources. But um, for people who are Americans, who English is their only language, they can speak it, but they can't read it. That's a serious hindrance to their growth. So teaching them to read and understand the Bible, how to rightly interpret it, even down to the phrase level and sentence level of understanding what do these words mean is a powerful tool to, to disciple people as well. And to be able to take notes on what they're listening. And yeah, to be able to write it down. Keep it for the, one of the five love languages is quality time, going back to your question. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. So don't ever go around your Sunday school class and say everybody read a verse with good information. You never know. That That's right. Yeah. And there's lots of tips like that that we can cover in training, a lot of things that I learned the hard way. <laughs> Not to call on people. Yeah, brother. What's the fourth one that you Oh, yes. So uh, this is one that um, has become a bigger need, especially with uh, the Hispanic population, but uh, citizenship classes mm -hmm. and doing helping with immigration and citizenship needs that people have. So, um, for example, world relief. Is that the fourth one you were thinking? Okay, good. I just want to make sure. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Um, citizenship is, there's a pathway to citizenship for a lot of people who come here, not for everybody, but for those who can, it's a really difficult process. Like uh, Miss Brenda, she came to our church to train us on it. And I was like, I don't even think I could pass this stuff. Like, you know, the questions they ask on the citizenship test and all that, it's actually really hard. Um, so you can train them in the English. They have to have a certain level of proficiency to be able to pass the test and to be able to become a citizen. Um, but then Wrapped up in that too, the legal process for becoming a citizen. There's lots of paperwork. There's lots of, it's not just the test, there's more to it. And there are whole programs that can be developed to meet that as a felt need, to provide an avenue for your members to get to meet people who have that need and you can share the gospel with them, doing all the love of Christ. But then also uh, can be a, a real blessing to them as they personally are just trying to seek residency in the United States. So yeah, that, that would be the fourth one, which it's kind of like, it's like a semi-branch off of ESL. I don't know, but it's enough. There's enough stuff for just citizenship that that could be its own thing, depending on your, your area. You know, it all depends on your context and what the needs are there. I can. Yeah, absolutely. I'll give you my email address and then you can spam me and I will happily send it back to you. I don't count it as spam. I love getting emails. All right. So let's keep going. So... But let's say, um, how many of you are pastors or senior pastors in this room? Okay, so we have a couple pastors, good. Um, others, are, are the rest of you, uh, raise your hand if you're on staff, but not a senior pastor. Okay, on staff, but not a senior pastor. And then others who are members of the church? I don't ever say just members, because the work is done by the members. Pastors are called by uh, God in scripture to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, and that's you. Um, so uh, what I wanted to get a picture of is, if you're going back to your church and you're trying to sell literacy missions as a pathway, hopefully the missional intent is clear by what we've covered. But I also think it's a strategic ministry for the entire church, not just as a means of reaching people, but it's actually strategic for every member of your church to be involved in. Why? 
Because again, missions is often relegated, or whatever word you want to use, to a program that's done by a select few, not the very purpose for which Jesus left us on earth. So what happens is you can have a church that's healthy, that's preaching the gospel, but maybe they've turned inward and they're not really outward focusing. Or maybe they are in some ways in their community and perhaps they're happy to send short-term trips overseas over there, like way over there, right, wherever it is. But that culture of missions is not coming back into the church. I personally have not seen in any church setting a patterned ministry that better cultivates a missional heart in every member of the church than literacy missions because of the reasons we already discussed. Think about it with me. If you have internationals coming to your building, let's say, every single week, even members that are not involved are seeing them coming into your church and they're getting used to seeing people who are not like them in the building, right? Whenever you are uh, having volunteers and you're onboarding new people, you're incorporating more people to serve in various facets of the ministry. And then they get excited about it and tell their friends. And suddenly your church is praying for the nations. They're seeing the nations. They're reaching the nations. And then by God's grace, under His sovereign design, if you see some that are called to faith and then they are baptized, well, then you're actually witnessing the nations, being the Revelation 7-9 vision being fulfilled right before your eyes. And it's all happening in your four walls at your church. It's amazing. So encouraging. It's something that feels far off suddenly becomes very near through patterned ministries like literacy missions. And so this is kind of meant to show that, that there's a feeder loop here if done correctly. You have the missional need that's being met. Namely, the Lord has brought the nations to our back door. We have an obligation to reach them using Paul's language. He's constrained by the Spirit, it says. An obligation to reach the Gentiles. And then, that's us too, by the way. Um, but, and then, as you're meeting that missional need, it actually fuels and, and cultivates an even greater passion for missional awareness within the church. I've seen this happen at my own church too, where um, it used to be just a few people down the hall and uh, people were involved in it and it, you know, it was well supported in terms of people gave the thumbs up, but it was kind of still an over there thing. Well, when we started advertising more and we started thinking critically about how to structure our ministry such that everybody could be a part of it, we started kind of infiltrating, to use a, maybe a bad word, but other ministries, getting them plugged into like the senior adult team and the youth team. There's something for everybody to do in literacy missions. I jokingly tell people when they come on board, which gift, they ask, which gifts do you need? I said, I can use all of them. <laughs> because there isn't a single gift that someone doesn't have that we can't use. Administrative, I have tons of administrative needs. Evangelism, you betcha I need evangelists to come serve in our ministry. People with languages that they can speak, we need all of them too. There's not a single gift that cannot be used in literacy missions. It's very unique in that respect. And so there's this ongoing cycle. But we do have to be careful in how we structure the ministry. This is a paradigm that I use at my church. Different churches do it differently. But adopting a missional paradigm that undergirds what you do as a literacy missions kind of pattern uh, will help you. And uh, I'll explain why in a minute. We use this as just a version of the uh, Great Commission and um, themes from Luke 10, 1 through 24. It's try to root it scripturally. I don't have time to read Luke 10, 1 through 24 now, but uh, go home and check me, okay? Uh, we want to test everything from God's Word. But connect for relationship. We want to make people aware that, again, we're not just doing this as a service and that's where it ends. We're connecting through this ministry pattern 
so that we can make relationships that we may engage them with the gospel. Now by this, I don't, sometimes you know, it can get a bad rap. I don't mean that we're doing a bait and switch. It's not get them in the door so we can give them Jesus. You know, we want to give them Jesus. We do that with the food package. Well, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, and sometimes people can feel like a project in that way. We don't want them to feel like a project. We want to genuinely serve and love others, just like Jesus did. Think about the feeding of the 5,000. At the end of the feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6, it says almost all of them left him. Jesus just indiscriminately blessed people. And then he used that as a platform to proclaim the gospel. And then there were a few who were interested and, of course, the core disciples that remained. I think of ministry that way with felt needs. We do the ministry to connect so that we can sow seed broadly. But we hope and we pray that by God's grace, we'll have a, a few, maybe, maybe many, that we can engage with the, with the gospel that will come to faith in Christ. But it doesn't end there either. Once they come to faith and they're baptized, then we want to get them into discipleship patterns so they can grow in maturity. That's so critical because it depends on your context. I know for us working with international students, many of them after they come to faith, we have a very short period of time with them before they're back home. But there's a lot we need to cover with them. We need to teach them how to be a disciple of Jesus so that when they go back to their home country, their home city, that they can continue to flourish in the faith because where they're going may not be as easy to do that from a practical standpoint as it is here in the United States. And so we want to disciple them to maturity. And again, that's going to vary based on the amount of time we have remaining and what their language level is and how they can be plugged in. Uh, I recommend that people try to get internationals plugged into their church as much as they're able. So I'll give you an example of this. There was a Czech couple who came to faith, um, was baptized at our church, and now they're doing some international student ministry themselves down at NC State. Uh, it was easier to, you know, to see them do that, though, because they're here for the long haul. For some of our friends, like I said, we, I don't know if y'all's ministry is like this, but we'll often meet them in the fall. They come to faith sometime in January. We get them baptized and excited in March, and then they're going back home in May and June. And it's like, okay, hopefully, you know, we're praying, Lord, keep them, keep them firm. But then an aspect of that, too, is sending them on mission. We want to equip them to replicate what we've done. Now, here's what's kind of difficult, though. Do you think in their home country that they're going to be equipped to teach English? Probably not. But what we're doing is we're trying to teach them whatever felt need or whatever avenue of service you can use your gifts. Make sure when you get back, you start doing that to also have a funnel of relationship building where you can sow seeds for the gospel and it forms, it forms a circle. You connect, engage, disciple, send those people who are sent, then go out and do the same. And this paradigm applies to internationals as much as it applies to our American volunteers. Here's another reason why this structure is helpful. You want to adopt a vision in your literacy ministry that gives you flexibility. If your ministry adopts structures that are kind of narrow, then whenever bad things happen, like, oh, I don't know, a global pandemic, it can be very discouraging when certain patterns are maybe not able to be sustained or they die altogether. I'll give you a quick story. This happened at our church. We used to have a huge ESL ministry on Wednesday nights, you know, 80 to 120 students, depending on the year. And ton of Chinese were coming. We were very grateful for that avenue. And um, th that was just the population in our area that, that wanted it. We have others now. But when COVID-19 hit, I'm telling you, it, we had hardly any students at all who were responding to coming in person, which made sense. Um, but because this was our pattern, 
we didn't just have a, a way to measure success. We also had a structure to go back into and lean on. So we said, okay, well, maybe our Wednesday night ESL class in the way that we've been doing it for a decade isn't the best way in this season to connect for relationship. What is? So we started brainstorming. What do we do? Well, let's start a conversation partners program. So we spun up a conversation partners program where we bought a Zoom account and I bought multiple licenses and created all these meetings. And then we had American volunteers that I paired with internationals. And then they met one-on-one, -on -one, once a week or twice a week, whatever worked for them, at a time that worked for them. And then they met together and I wrote lesson plans that were discussion-oriented. I structured the lessons such that there was a, a secular topic, but you as a Christian could answer it as a Christian. Things like, how do you deal with stress? The international can answer it however they want, and then you can answer it, well, here's how I deal with stress. I go to the Lord, I go to His Word, go to prayer. And then through that, we're sharing the gospel. And what was amazing is while when we started, we were kind of discouraged, I, I look back and I was like, Lord, your ways are certainly not our ways. We actually had more gospel fruit in one semester through our Conversation Partners program than we had had in the last number of years through our ESL program. And here's why. It didn't dawn on me until afterwards. Well, a lot of the things that required a ton of time, energy, and money went away whenever you put it on Zoom. And what I meant by that is, you know, we had to have a huge childcare apparatus, no childcare on Zoom. Um, same thing with the volunteers. Oh, it was really hard to be there on a Wednesday night. Well, now you can do it in your pajamas, you know, <laughs> uh, on a Saturday morning at nine if you wanted to. Um, and then also, too, we found that people got into gospel conversations much more quickly because you were immediately getting that one-on-one -on -one relationship that we were striving for with the big environment. Now, that said, I'm a huge believer that face-to-face -face is always better than virtual. I'm just saying during that cultural moment, we were grateful we could lean on the same structure. We could still do our ministry vision. It just looked different. But if you have a structure like this, your volunteers will be less discouraged because you're still able to keep the ministry going even if it looks different. We're back in person now, but we've kept some of our virtual elements for those who are still kind of nervous about it. What's amazing too is we're now able to send better because we sent one family back, for example, uh, back to Asia and we, they still meet on Zoom with one of my volunteers and are still studying the Bible back in their home country, being discipled by us here in the States. And so now we're trying, and that's, I don't know if you guys were like this, I felt so dumb. I'm not even kidding. I was like, why did it never dawn on me? Like we've always had Zoom. We've always had these virtual methods. It had just been for years, you know. Once we discipled them and we send them, it was like, okay, goodbye, good luck, we're trusting you to the Spirit. We, of course, trust them to the Spirit. But now we can actually follow up and it's not weird anymore. Like, let's give, exchange Zoom info. We can keep in touch. They can also engage at another level. That's right. Mm -hmm. And encourage them to mature even more. That's exactly right. And we can point them, we can help uh, basically kind of hold their hand until they get to the next level of church involvement, wherever their context is. And so... Why is it strategic as well? Well, uh, it also provides a low barrier of entry. Now, by this I do not mean we don't want to be well trained. We want to be trained in what we do, uh, to do it well in a way that honors the Lord. But one thing that we do in these settings, in terms of building that missional culture in a church, having a classroom like this tears down barriers. What do I mean? Well, maybe you're an American who only speaks English. And maybe these people are Japanese and their English level is really low and they're from a completely different culture and they don't understand anything that's happening over here. Well, what we've done in a language classroom is we've created a third culture where the overlap, there's only, there's only one requirement. You have to be breathing and wanting to speak English. That's your overlap for involvement, right? That's a low bar. Anybody can do that. All of you can do that. We can all come to this classroom and be a part of what God's doing.
Now, with that said, we want to train our members to think missionally and to know how to teach well. And so we have structures and patterns and trainings that offer that. But the gist of it is it provides just a wonderful touch point to give access to people you may not have otherwise had access to in the community so that you can continue to sow that seed. I encourage members to use this Who's Your One language because you can walk into a room, there's like 50 people. I tell them, look, don't be intimidated. Just try to jive with one person and see where the Lord takes it. And I tell them, pray too. Pray before you enter the class. Ask the Lord to lay before you someone. And I'm telling you guys, it's amazing how many times when we've prayed, the Lord answers it and gives us that person that wants to be invested in. It's, it's astounding. Chase, I have a question. Yes, sir. Should we wait for the end? Uh, maybe. If I'm just going to get through a couple more things. But if you can hold it, please don't forget it, though. Make sure you flag me at the end. Um, and then it's also just strategic because the thing doesn't have to happen just in the classroom. We try to encourage people to make this a missional aspect of their entire life. So we tell people, look, you don't have to just meet them in the ESL classroom. We want that to be a starting point. Invite them to your home for dinner. It's amazing how many internationals I've talked to that they say they've, they'll spend their entire time in the United States and they've never been invited to an American home. It's astounding. They're hungry for it. They want to come to your house. It's, it's like, is there any other pattern of ministry where the lost people are begging to want to come to your house and spend time with you? It's just amazing. It's just such an open door. And there's a lot more I could say on this, but we try to train our people to leverage from the literacy environment to incorporate it into all of their life. Are you going to the state fair? Take your international friend. Do you think they want to go to a fair? That's pretty cool. I like fairs. Give them a fried Oreo. Um, holidays are great. Invite them to Christmas. We just had a, a thing where a family invited them to their Thanksgiving uh, dinner at their house. Do you know how meaningful it is for an international to be invited to an American's Thanksgiving? It's only celebrated here and actually there's a Thanksgiving in Korea as well as far as I know. Um, but at any rate, in Canada. But it's just an, it's a wonderful opportunity. So it, the, the ministry opens doors. It just opens doors as people get to know each other. Um, we want to display and declare the gospel. You can go there to check my work. Philippians 3.17, 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. There's both this direct instruction aspect of discipleship and there's a modeling aspect of discipleship. Both of those things happen in contexts like these. Think about your kids. Those of you who have children, how do you disciple your kids? Well, yeah, we have a Bible time, me and my wife after dinner every night, and we teach them a Bible verse. We pray for the nations and pray for them. But they're also discipled when they see daddy singing at church, court, you know, corporate worship on Sunday morning. They're also being discipled when they see how I respond to someone at a supermarket who's acting belligerently versus the people around me, right? And that's not to credit me. Sometimes I'm that guy, right? Uh, but it's to show that the, yeah. how the Lord Jesus has tra transformed my life. It opens doors. Literacy missions opens doors for that type of work. And so we encourage those one-on-one -on -one small group relationships to just continue. I'll send you my PowerPoint, sister. Don't worry about it. Um, and then here's a couple of pictures of just what it looks like. This is what it looks like at our church. And I love pictures like this because it reminds me, you know, each of these people are created in the image of God. And each of these volunteers represents somebody who stepped out in faith to get to know them. And it's amazing how relationships can be formed in a classroom setting like this that really blossom outside. Uh, we also had a great opportunity to invest in kids. This is just two of them. We had a kids ESL program we spun up because we found that a lot of kids wanted to come, but we didn't have anything for them and they couldn't really get into our youth group quite yet because they didn't speak English. So we created, created a kids ESL program and we got to teach them Bible stories, something they would have probably never gotten otherwise. 
Um, this is the Thanksgiving party at uh, Brenda and Brian's house they were hosting and uh, just it's amazing how many folks uh, were able to come out to those uh, even despite COVID. Here's our Christmas party. Um, some of the internationals, they're the ones who brought the best food. That's a byproduct of international ministry. If you want some good food, <laughs> invest in the nations. I'm just saying. Yeah. Uh, and then this was our Thanksgiving party. We had one, a big one at the church where we had, had a, a section where I was able to share the gospel with everybody there. And, but the volunteers were getting to know people around their table and just showing and displaying and declaring the love of Christ. Um, this is one of our Zoom sessions uh, with one of the Chinese groups that I do online on Friday evenings where we teach them pronunciation and then I also teach them pronunciation from a Bible verse and then I explain what it means. So we were going through Genesis. Um, and then here's our Chinese New Year party, a holiday that we celebrate with them and we invite them to our church. Uh, so we're looking forward to doing that again. Here's one of our other groups. So next steps in my very remaining time, um, pray, plan, prepare and promote. There's so much more I could say on this, but it all starts with prayer. Paul, when he's in jail in, Colo in Colossae and, and then outside of jail, he prays and says, he asks for prayer, pray for open doors that I may uh, declare the gospel uh, you know, uh, clearly. And I think when we pray, the Lord will open doors. We were invited, this is a long story, but we were invited to teach English at a mosque in Durham in direct response to prayer. We had no idea how to get involved with the uh, Muslim population in our city. We started praying, Lord, open a door through like a crazy chain of six emails through random relational contacts that made it to me. And they said, would your church be interested in this? We went over there to them. The, the guy who was running the program at the mosque asked me, he goes, why do you do what you do? And I was like, we do it because we serve the Lord Jesus Christ, want to show his love to others. He was like, cool, we'll start next week. And I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, it's just amazing how the Lord opened doors to pray. Then plan, and we can help you with this at the state convention and other literacy missions practitioners. There's a lot we can do to help you plan a ministry that will meet the needs in your community. And then we can help prepare your folks as well. What types of training do I need to reach the Hispanic population? Maybe a little different than refugees. We can help you with all of that. And then promote. I call this the steady drumbeat of missional advancement. You need to be constantly putting it out there, calling for volunteers, bringing them on board, training them up. It's an ongoing cycle because you don't want the ministry to die with a few. You want it to blossom into something the entire church is owning. So there's my contact information. If you want to jot down, take a picture of my email. If you email me, I'll send you a copy of this. And I, of course, would love to connect uh, related to other aspects of literacy missions. If you go to ncbaptist.org literacy missions, we have trainings that are coming up. One thing that um, I'm trying to work on with the state is we're adopting a training model that is more modular where we're offering online and in-person settings and we're planning on offering five across the state this year uh, to maximize our uh, potential in terms of training volunteers and we hope to also be releasing more digital content for your churches by way of recordings that your volunteers can watch or that you can use to share the vision with your pastors back home and you can find all that i'm still working on the website uh, i have to go through the convention so we're working on that but it should all be there uh, there's actually training coming up in Charlotte soon, brother, in March um, for, it's EFL, but a lot of the, it's very similar to ESL, and a very good friend of mine named Cheryl is going to be training it, and she's excellent. So um, I, I, that's on the website, too. Folks can register for that. It's going to be in person two days coming up in March. Another one's coming up in April, and we hope to have a couple in the summer. So, all right. I'm sorry. I feel like I've already held you. I think the next thing, when's the next thing start? I don't have my book. I'm sorry. Oh, the next thing starts at 3? Oh, I thought it started, I thought it only had till uh, 2.35, 2 okay. 
So we have a few minutes for questions, and then uh, I can circle back on some things as well. But brother, you had a question. I see from what you're saying. Could you go back to the um, connect engage these satellites? Yeah. Oh, there he is. I once heard um, the pastor of Summit in Espanol say that they pulled their congregation. Mm -hmm. This is in Briar Creek. Mm -hmm. And the average turnover for a Hispanic is 18 months yeah. in the area. And I can see that being, and there's an urgency yeah. to do this. Not just with the Hispanics, we are 1.1 million. We are yeah. by far the largest minority here. Um, how does that speak to the... When you're talking about conversation partner programs, mm -hmm. how much Spanish are these Anglo partners learning? Yeah. Because regardless of what you do, you bump into a Hispanic. Yeah. At least once a week. At least, regardless of what you do. Yeah. And your background in whatever. So, how are we building a missional heart in the local church mm. by doing literacy missions backwards? Not just teaching, yeah. but learning to be able to connect yeah. with people you don't know, to be able to invite them to the classes, to be able to... Is there a dynamic? Is that yeah. is the natural thing that's happening? And that, yeah. that was my question. And what would be your dream? Yeah, that's an excellent question. If I could add a stage before that, I would call it pre-connect. <laughs> what would that be? Uh, so pre-connect is I, take, I like to take a survey of my congregation to know the gifts and abilities that already exist. They're sovereignly there for a reason. And to find people who already have a heart. So you're always kind of operating from both sides. There's people who already have the passion maybe for a people group, and then there's people who don't have it yet, but they will, because the Spirit's gonna impress it upon them as they're aware of it. Um, I was in that category, actually. I didn't even know our church had an ESL program when I first started attending. The only reason why I ended up in that classroom is because one of our volunteers asked me to volunteer to fill in for him for a couple of weeks while his uh, child was being born. Well, it's been 13 years and I'm still teaching, but, uh, but it's just- The child was born. But the child was born, yes, yes. Well, yeah, it's, we, I've been waiting 13 years on that child, no. But the pre-connect is, and I think this is sometimes what happens when the ministry gets into maintenance mode only and isn't going back that step and saying, what are we doing to get the new people, is letting the congregation just simply know what's going on and asking them to pray for it. So I talk about it in members meetings. I talk about it from the stage on Sunday mornings. All of our pastors are aware of it. I update all of our elders. The deacons know about it and they're serving in it. That's part of the pre-connect. But then another aspect is which people maybe from that ethnic group or language background are already extant in your church that you can pedestal as leaders to lead it. So I have a group of guys in our church who are from Colombia and from uh, uh, Honduras and a couple of other places who I don't speak Spanish. But I said, look, brothers, you guys know the language. You guys know the culture. Help me. And I've brought them into the process trying to say, what are the best ways to st strategically re reach them? It may not be that XYZ literacy program is the best for them. It could be the citizenship. 
is what they need, or legal services is what they need. But we tell them to do that. Another one is prayer walking. It's something I hadn't heard of until I started, uh, I was just hearing it from a brother of mine who serves overseas. Prayer walking is an effective way to get your people in the community, not just talking about them, and walking through a city with the eyes of Christ. You mentioned how you run into internationals, Hispanics specifically, every week. My fear is we're so enraptured with our own what's going on in our lives that we don't even see them. But whenever you walk through a city and you pray for different regions where you know Hispanics live, and you take your people there to see them and to interact with them and maybe even share some fellowship with them, it's amazing how the Lord will, do, will use that to impress on their hearts a desire that wasn't there. Um, it also gives you ideas for how to connect with them. So the connect for relationship, it's not just for literacy missions. This could apply to any ministry. We went to one community, an apartment complex, and we found there were a ton of guys who like to hang around and play soccer and stuff. And I'm like, ESL textbook, throw it out. I'm going to pick up a soccer ball instead. But then through that relationship, we met people who said, man, I'm just having trouble with immigration stuff. It's like, did you know our church has a program for that? No, I didn't. And the benefit of that is it's, it's kind of working both ways where you're the people are learning more about their, what's going on in that community. So their heart is building for them. But then you're also at the same time trying to build people up in the skills they need to meet those needs. Now, not every church can do everything, uh, but I think we can all probably do a lot more than what we are. And so I think the Spirit also, I, I, I'm not just saying this is like a catch-all, the Spirit will equip your saints for what needs to be done to reach the people He's called you to reach. Amen. He will do it. And I've seen that happen time and time again. I have, I have for many years never been without someone that I needed or that we needed as a team in the moment we needed them. The Spirit is faithful. The Lord is faithful because He cares about His mission more than we do. <laughs> it's good to remind ourselves of that. So I don't know if that answers your question. Um, but identifying people who are passionate, who already have those skill sets, pedestaling them as leaders, they're going to more passionately share about things because it's, it's who they are. And then also it equips them to be able to share how to reach that culture and that context. Um, and then hopefully we'll see the, the spirit impress that upon other people as well. That's a good question. Thank you. Yeah, go ahead, brother. And I think that goes back to prayer. Mm -hmm. well, yeah. Yes. That's right. Uh, so people can uh, uh, integrate in themselves the qualities of the disciple. That's right. Uh, and so forth. And uh, so it will be good that somebody, well, whoever teach, mm -hmm. must have some qualities. Yes. As a disciple, you know, yes. you could, uh, do that. And that's why at our church we do have requirements for the members, you know. To be in the ESL program as a volunteer, as a leader, you have to be a member in good standing. You know, you have to be plugged into certain patterns. I think those are wise safeguards for that very reason, because we are the hands and feet of Christ. We want to make sure we're displaying the right Christ. <laughs> so we need to, we, you know, there's facets of that that are at play too. So yeah, very good. Maybe we have time one, for a couple more. Yes. One ministry that, that doesn't really do ESL, but it probably could do it is called International Students. They work in Durham and also in Raleigh. Mm -hmm. We were part of both programs where it was more of a hospitality ministry mm -hmm. where students sign up. And we had, in fact, this fall, we had four French students and one student from India. Mm. 
and through through those five students we were able actually to pour into one particular French student and I still communicate through her through text Wow and we were able to share the gospel she loved everything American so she wanted to come to Thanksgiving that's we, great we did Christmas I mean just everything oh wow and so when Halloween she wanted to know what Halloween was like yeah so in, in essence we were able to share the gospel with her actually help her a little bit in her English and she's taking that back. She's in Luxembourg right now on an internship. Wow, that's awesome. Where are you from? We're from Raleigh. From Raleigh? Which church do you go to there? Rooted Church. Okay, and are, do you work through NC State? Uh, we were a part of the international students when we lived in Durham. Okay, ISI? Yes. Okay, yeah, I know that ministry well because that's where I'm at. It's over near Duke, so. Okay. Yeah, and, and that's one thing too. I know I'm up here talking about literacy missions, but one thing to keep in mind is, again, if literacy missions is not the best way to connect with the internationals that the Lord has brought your way, well, then don't. And it's not like a, a silver bullet. The reason why I'm saying that is a lot of the undergrads, for example, we're finding at Duke at least, um, they don't really have a desire slash a need for English because their English is pretty good, this new wave of people. A lot of the people that come to our programs are students and scholars who want to learn and because they've not experienced it, and they're, they're eager to learn the culture. But for some of those, they don't, they don't really come to our ESL programs. Uh, we've had culture classes and things like that that have been moderately attended. Um, but for them, hospitality may be the best way. And, uh, and it's in that context that you can find out what needs they have. But it may be that just opening your door is the first step of effective ministry. So that's great, sister. Keep it up. Yeah, we have time for maybe one more question. All right. Well, I know it's a lot. Uh, it's a big umbrella topic, literacy missions. But uh, I was talking to a friend about this uh, even recently. It's amazing how felt needs ministries are just so prevalent all over our state. And they all provide such an open door for ministry. I think literacy is one of them, not just with the nations. We've talked a lot about internationals. But don't forget our illiterate friends who live in our cities, in our towns, or the youth who don't have access to education. Uh, those pathways and avenues are also amazing opportunities to do everything we were talking about but for people who <laughs> even look and sound just like us but they don't know Christ they're far from him it's a question I like to ask like who is and I get this from a friend of mine in Winston-Salem who is near to you but far from God and then how can you get them closer to God through you literacy missions could be the way and so, like I said, if you have questions, feel free to email me. I'd love to talk about slash share even more uh, about how to do this in your context. We can brainstorm ideas. That's why I'm here. So I, I, like I said, not just in my pastoral role at First Baptist, but with the state convention, that's my role. And so I'd love to connect to help you. And I'll be around afterwards as well. So let me close this time in prayer, just thanking the Lord for each of you. And uh, Lord willing, we'll enjoy the final session together. Father, we thank you so much for today and for the blessing, like I said earlier, for the time we've had to spend. God, I pray that if you uh, would be pleased to use anything we've discussed today um, to make disciples, uh, that, Lord, you would just impress upon our hearts, that you would use the words that we've shared even today to just impress upon our hearts uh, a greater passion for reaching the lost. Um, Father, we confess that often our eyes are not filled with compassion like Christ's were. Uh, we confess that it's easier to be like the two people who walk by the man in need in the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
Lord, we need your help. We need your spirit to give us strength to be willing to put the work in and to be willing to make these relationships that the name of Christ would be magnified. So help us, we pray, in that, Lord. And I pray, Lord, for wisdom for these brothers and sisters as they go back to their home context, that if literacy missions is something that you may be calling them to, uh, that they would continue to fan that fire and uh, that, Lord, people around them would also be built up and encouraged and would also catch that excitement for reaching those whom you've placed in their own backyards. We love you, Father. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to walk out in strength and encouragement in that gospel today. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Yeah, I didn't even use the whiteboard. I just wasted a piece of paper. Here, let's write some stuff to make it look like we, you know, oh, that was good stuff. I didn't even write anything. Yeah, you're welcome. Good to see you, too. Th thanks for uh, hosting us here. Ricardo, Richland Creek. I saw that name earlier. Our secretary at our church goes to Richland Creek. Her name's uh, Ashley Heron. I don't, oh. I don't know if you know her, Jonathan and Ashley Heron. I might. But uh, I am the director of the Hispanic Ministry. You know what? I'd love to talk to you because we're trying to do. Well, there's a huge emphasis right now among certain churches in the Triangle to do some more church planting work among Hispanics, and uh, there's even some guys in our church who I think could form a core team, um, like families. I mean. But our church has just never done anything like that before. So I've reached out to the state, and I would love to learn from you. I am seeking for a core team to plant a very unique hmm. type church. Interesting. We should get coffee sometime. I am a coffee freak. Okay. And well, you look like one. I, I will drink anything. If it's no, black no, and hot, no, I'll drink no, it. No, 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 so no, no. I'll drink Whenever it. Whenever you're a coffee dog student, reaches a higher level you let me know and we can get together. this is his his card yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah i would love to connect because i want to learn what y'all are you about and i you know what i'm not important enough to have so a card you've heard but that we're doing something right well not you guys but ah. i've i've heard well I, I haven't heard of you specifically but i know there's a lot of movement in the triangle right now i know uh, fairview baptist and uh, apex wants to do something uh, or not apex uh fuquay that area and um so i'm gonna task you with the um, Oh, I need to take this off. I mean, recorded. Uh, and, and probably turn it off. This is not part of the recording. Yeah. Uh, did you record it? Uh, I hope so. That was phenomenal. I hope I record. I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm just gonna. We have to get these guys. I'm just gonna leave it right here. We have to get. Uh, I work up with them. I did Spanish. Really? We're exit. And I thought I was looking for the last 10 miles. Just 10 miles. I just graduated. We're about a mile. Oh, did you? I graduated last year. When did you graduate? December. December? Okay, I graduated in May. It's really west. One degree is more pursuing Yeah, that one pursues you. Yeah, I wasn't pursuing it. It's a stage two terminal degree. That's right. What was your idea? And we have actually one of our members runs a Ministry in Honduras, he travels to Honduras two or three times a year. Did you see Dr. Rob? They do mission work there. I'm not exactly sure what's the nature of it. Was he? I had some sort of humanitarian type thing. But they go to Honduras several times a year. He had a break for us.